welcome to church and other drugs my name is jed jay is not here this is about the fourth intro i have recorded because it's really really weird to record by yourself because i'm just talking to myself with no feedback i had to make my wife go outside because it's just very awkward it's very 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 awkward um yeah jay's doing something i don't know he had to watch tv catch up on netflix was i think the quote he gave me but I had an awesome chance to have like an hour long conversation with Dave, one of the co-hosts from Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and he got to tell his story, so that's really good. Um, Oh, if any of y'all saw on Facebook Live where we did our uh, live roast of John Wick 2, Facebook did take us down after like eight minutes. The video is still up on our Facebook page, just like search through the videos, and we recorded, I think, like 15 or 20 minutes more, um, and we're going to post that on our Patreon. So if you want to see that, throw us up like a dollar or something, and you can see it. It's pretty damn funny, and I really wish, in, you know, in, in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have, like, written John Wick 2 in the title. I guess that's a pretty immediate breach of uh, copyright laws. But yeah, uh, enjoy the interview. We got t-shirts, as always. Um... Send us an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com, and look forward to uh, seeing you guys next week. Fascist, super, exactly, there it yeah. is. Comrade. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, a bouffant is my favorite word for that. Coif is good, though. I have yeah, a, a bouffant. Good. Yeah, it's happening. You, so you're down in Louisiana. What are we doing? What's Howard? the plan? Uh, I want to hear your story, dude, and just like shoot the shit without the uh, pesky annoyances of our ridiculous co-hosts. Without the ball and chains. Without the ball and chains. Right. No, what? Uh, and then what really happened is, so me and Jay, um, I hit record already. So, okay. FYI, me and Jay went to a AA men's retreat this weekend. So, yeah, I saw pictures. Yeah, so we just spent like eight days together. So, like, a podcast this week wasn't happening. I was like, "Oh shit, it's like Saturday night. I better get on this." When does it come out? Tomorrow? Monday. All right. Sunday. Did you always put it out Monday, or does it change? I well, actually, now I put it out Sunday. It really it was used to be Monday, and now I just started. I would edit on Sunday, and I used to like save it for Monday, and then one day I was like, "Why? Why? I'm just gonna make it public Sunday. Like, what's the deal?" Uh, so, what have you been up to, dude? That's classic. We did the same thing. We did the exa- we we would put it out on Monday because it was like first day of the week. Yeah, gotta get this episode out on Monday. It doesn't matter. Dude. And then and then Chris was like, I think if we put it out on Sunday, we'll get more downloads for the week. And I said, I bet if you put it out on Saturday, there'll even be more. Yeah. And so now we we kind of like rested at Saturday, but it's like the classic like uh, like using thing. addict like, mindset, yeah, trying to get the most bang for the buck. Well, it was like, I, I only use on the weekends. And then it's like, well, I use on the weekends and I use on Thursday. Well, I use on the weekends and Thursday and, and Mondays sometimes. Sometimes. And, but I really like getting high on Wednesday night, too. You know, it's yeah. like like one of those. So Dude. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I just got home from a long fucking thing. You know what I mean? Um, 
I have like a four hour commute on top of like a 10 hour shift every day. So, no, Friday goes late every day. I commute every day. I commute like four hours, four yeah. hours. Well, it's really like three. Yeah. Like four hours. I commute an hour and a it, half on the train and then I walk for a while. Is that like a common thing in New York? No, I don't think so. Cause that's a I lot, think, dude. I live, I live in, um, Suffolk County, New York. Which is uh, deep on Long Island. It's it's by the Great South Bay. It's pretty. Okay. And I work in Manhattan. I work on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Most I thought, people. I thought you lived there. That's right. Jay was right. I thought you lived there, and he's like, "No, I think he lives somewhere else." I li- I lived there. I grew up in Manhattan, and I lived there for a long, long time. But when I finally fixed my family, the only problem with fixing my family was moving to uh, Suffolk County. Ah. Ah, I so. see. <clears throat> is that like your time though? Is that like your like Dave time? The four hours? Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. sweet. That's cool. Cause I, I just switched my job. So like I used to have I was working by myself with headphones, so I literally had like eight hours of just like whatever I wanted to think about, listen to, and now um I have like a thirty minute drive to and like an hour total. So I get like I have to pick one podcast a day to listen to now. It's quite a, a different. Oh, I heard the I heard the uh, the LSD poop in their pants story today. That was good. That was that, good, dude. That podcast has gotten that episode has gotten a lot of uh, good and bad attention. I'll say. What was the bad attention? People don't like Amanda Lauren. People like hate Amanda Lauren. The, the My podcast. Fair Junkie. No, no, that was no, who's that Amanda Lauren? I didn't finish it. Yeah, well, you'll you'll see. I shouldn't have said. I, now she's gonna hear this, and she's because she she came on our podcast. Um, she does a podcast called "Things We're Too Lazy to Blog About." Okay, and she she's a writer, and she loved Dopey, and she um, and she wanted to come on the show, and she wanted to have me and Chris on her show. And she wanted to pitch an article about Dopey for Vibe the, Magazine. This is different from the interview chick. Did she chick she interviewed y'all for a blog? Oh, this is different. Okay, okay. It's, this is different. You've got so many blogs to keep up with, you son of a bitch. I know. <laughs> dude, I'm like fucking tenacious. I'm a hungry fuck. I'm I know, like, dude. I don't know what else to do. Like, it's like, that's how I am. You know what I mean? I'm fucking, I'm crazy with it because like, like, you know, right now, Chad, we have two interns. I have an intern in upstate New York and an intern in Westchester pumping out the dopey, pumping it out. That's what they're doing. All right. So, so how hard is it? And I think the congregation would agree after, after you do your blogs, be like, Oh, before I get off the the call, let me, uh, let me recommend your next interview. Uh, some fine chefs down in Louisiana by the name of church and other drugs. You're always welcome. Are you kidding me? That's what I'm saying. Pimp us out. You you do oh, give us the shout outs. I, I you're always welcome, and I will I'll, I'll shout you out whenever whenever I I can think of it. You know how this goes though. It's like, I know, dude. It's 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 tough. I'm I'm the sole. I guess because I'm guessing Chris doesn't do shit in this regard. No, well it's funny. I'll tell you. Hold on, Chris. This is the deal. This is the nature of our our podcasting relationship. Chris, um, first of all. Chris is a dumbass, but <laughs> but Chris is also like very smart. Chris is in school for his uh, doctorate, 
and um, and like he surprises me, and I'm sure he surprises the listeners with his like intellect and his like information. Like it comes out of no place. It's like he'll like and then he'll be like mention every alkaloid of yeah. every woman <laughs> or some shit. But like with with the relationship for the podcast, it's it's like he makes me crazy. But you have to give it to Chris because Chris lives in Boston and uh, we've never recorded in Boston. We've only recorded in New York because yeah. Chris drives fucking 10 hours to do dopey. That's, and, an, uh, that's a long time, dude. Not to mention he drives 10 hours to do dopey. And then we've had we have like 120 episodes we've done in the past two years. He's posted every one. He's edited every one. He's done oh. every fucking thing. So it's like well, whenever my... whenever I'm giving him shit about stuff he's not doing, he's like, dude, you're not going to ever come close to the amount of time that I put in. Listen, the hours I drive, you're never going to catch me. This is, this is how good, and Chris, I'm talking to you, this is how fucking good Dave is that I literally thought you did nothing, Chris. I thought Dave was the mastermind here, so I apologize, dude. God. He's so good, you don't even know he's there. Yep, you know what it's I'm the behind-the-scenes. Like, like the wind. No, I mean, like, that's, <laughs> but that's the nature of a, good, of a good partnership. I've been a part of a million things where somebody does too much and somebody else doesn't do enough and shit doesn't yeah. get done. And, um, and I think Chris, you know, I think Chris is almost lucky that he lives in Boston because he can say he drives. You know what I'm saying? Like, because there's all these other things that uh, he's not going to fucking do that I'm crazy to do, like set up an article, set up interns, make sure we get crazy guests, do Twitter. Like, I, I just do stuff that, like... You're, you're the media guy. Yeah. I, I think I get off on it, too. I think I, think I enjoy it, and I enjoy... Um, like, I enjoy feeling like something's happening. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I think more than anything else, I enjoy feeling like something. Does it happened. not, dude? I've noticed it kind of fucks me up though. Like, cause I, I'll get on, like I'll get on these tears where like interviews will pour in, and like I, I turn into like media mode, and like we're getting emails and responding, and then like when it falls off, like it falls off, and it hurts my soul, and I'm like, and the, or it's like. It, it, it's kind of like how how f smartphones for me have just set up this this mentality of like uh, like constant events like stuff to look forward to i'm constantly getting these reminders of like something awesome is about to happen and so it gets crazy built up in my head so mm -hmm. i totally get what you're saying it's just totally like uh, i've had to like not let it, it, it do you it, not get it's a double-edged sword. I think, it's exhausting Jeff. too, because do you not feel that if you if you slip up for one, if you're off for one day, then like the whole thing's ruined, that you'll lose the momentum. Well, it's like I I see it as a real like I don't I see dopey as a huge part of my recovery, but yeah. really the thing in my recovery is fucking uh, staying busy. Like I remember like when I would when I just got clean. And I would be out of my mind. You know what I mean? I wouldn't know what I was supposed to do. So I would just do as many things as I could think about. I remember it was like when you're, you know when you're a kid and you like make plans with a friend to have a sleepover and you're all excited for that week that on oh, that yeah. Saturday, 
you're going to have the sleepover. I remember when I first got clean, like I would just come up with anything to take my mind off wanting to get high or want or miserable that I had just gotten clean. So I would like, I like put a band together and, and I'd be like, Oh, well this week we're going to practice. Show. Yeah. You know, I was just practicing in my apartment. It was two people would come to my house to, to, to play songs. And I'd be like, Oh, this is good. Yeah. I'll make a list of songs we can play. And, or like even like I'm gonna cook a meal this week. Anything to feel like something is happening and I'm not just trapped in my fucking sick, sad brain. Um, but so with Dopey, it was like the greatest <clears throat> version of that because it was every week a show was gonna come out, and um, and then I, I and I feel what you're saying. It's like when I remember in the beginning when we would feel when we'd hear from somebody, we'd be so excited. People are listening. Blah blah blah. And then we wouldn't hear anything for, for like a long time. And I'd be like, what's what's going on? And and it was almost like a joke. I mean, it's like, on the other hand, it's like, what do we do? It's like you and Jay and me and Chris sit someplace and yeah. talk shit for an hour. Yeah. And it's like, all right, when's the cash going to start? Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. It's like, what am I waiting for that, that like studio call? Well, th- this is why. All right, well, let's start. I, I really do. Uh, I want to because I I realized I was like I've never I've heard bits and pieces but like I've never really heard your story and because I because I know your I imagine like some of your old producer isms are being itches are being scratched by this definitely yeah so definitely. like let's I, let's sp- spin your yarn bro um my yarn I I was born in <laughs> I, I you know I fucking I, I, I I'm like I I grew up in New York City. Um, I uh, am a quintessential middle-class Jewish New York City guy, and my parents were both teachers, and uh, I went to an incredibly, incredibly um, hardcore elementary school and high school. When I was four, I had to take a test to get into a like this fucking major school, like the number one school in New York City at four. You take the test, it's an IQ test, and then you have to do a simulated classroom, and then you have to get interviewed what? at four. No pressure. So, when I, so when, I, when I was four, I was one of the 50 kids that got admitted out of, like, you know, 15,000 that took the test. So, and, and I've only gone downhill since yeah, I was I was about to say, a way to yeah. waste that potential, bro. They, <laughs> that was the peak. That was the I peak. I peaked at four. No, I, I really did. I really peaked at four. That's, um, Yeah. I was also in the, we didn't have, it wasn't like that intense, but we had like the, the, uh, gifted program is what it was called. Gifted and talented. Yeah. Something like that. Gifted and talented. So yeah. But my, and this thing, it was like in Manhattan, you know what I mean? Like you go to a shitty school, you go to a private school. It's very rare that you get admitted to a school like this one where you're in these tiny classrooms and like the people that I went to school with all became lawyers or doctors or like com- famous composers like there's famous composers that went to my high school can you fucking name, you name, want me to yo hell fucking yeah lynn manuel miranda who wrote hamilton i have heard that's crazy um max kellerman from espn went to my high school like there's a million people that went to my high school right now lynn manuel miranda is the most famous yeah um who else the guy who wrote Frozen, he wrote the music for Frozen, and he wrote uh, Book of Mormon, and he, I don't know. Oh, no way. There's a bunch of people from my high school. 
Book that, of that, Mormon, the the Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Nice. Yeah, he wrote the music for that. Oh wow! And then and then and then there's this guy who became a heroin addict and does this Man, amazing. Yes, yeah, <laughs> get... He waits tables on the Lord. <laughs> um, which is funny. It's very funny. I mean, it's the humor and the the crippling, humorous, you know, self-deprecating comedy is not lost on me. Oh, but um, great. so I went to this school, and um, and I was a good kid. I didn't fuck around. You know, I I was just a good kid. Like I would hang out with my friends and play Dungeons and Dragons and play music. And so I was a nerdy. You did play D and D. A I've little bit. You... Nice. Yeah. A little bit. I, I like D and D. I played D and D like very young, and then I played it again in high school. Um, I liked all that shit, and I was like, I was a Manhattan kid, but like we didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like we would go to each other's apartments and hang out and talk or we'd walk around. We were just a bunch of like nerdy kids who really got along well. That's right. how I grew up. And um and by the time we were adolescent, uh I was very much afraid of uh alcohol and drugs and I was not at all interested in doing them. So I didn't. And my friends started to do them and I was like, I don't know, you know. I, I always thought that somebody who used alcohol or drugs when i was a kid was it was funny because i i was scared of them but at the same time i had this notion that if you did alcohol and drugs you were posturing and that you weren't being true to yourself this is where i thought where did that come from you think uh, i would watch i i just had this very strong feeling about like uh being genuine like and, and like and i thought that like older kids were just bullshitters and they wanted everyone to think they were cool. And that just resonated with me. Like, like the hot girls who would smoke cigarettes on the stairs at our high school, I'd be like, you're just posing. You know what I mean? And I didn't see that my whole life would be this gigantic pose, you know, soon after (laughs) at 15, I was like incredibly like I was right on. But after that, it started to fall apart. Uh, I went to a camp as and I had to be a waiter at this camp and I hated it. And I had no friends, and I, I befriended like the European kitchen staff. You had and the, like a summer camp, and you had to work. I went there to work. Like, oh, I okay, no, okay. I thought I, I was like, like, "Welcome to camp. Get to work." <laughs> no, it was like that. It was like my parents were like, basically, my parents had worked at a camp, and um, and I had to go to this camp, and I hated going to camp. Uh, because I just was like an outcast, nerdy city kid. I like didn't fit in at the camp, and and I had so many friends in my little nerdy school that the summer would become this hell, you know, where I had mm. to go to this camp with these kids from Long Island who played hockey and whatever. I just, you know, it wasn't my thing. And um, and then I was like 15. And I was like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to do it. Blah blah blah. And my parents were like, Well, you don't have to go to this camp, but you have to go to camp, and you might as well make some money. So they sent me into this camp to be a waiter, and it was like the literally it was the worst summer I ever had. Um, but at the end of the summer, I, I became friends with these kitchen staff guys, and they threw this crazy party at the end of the year, and uh, and they were all drinking, and I had never had a drink, and I drank, I probably drank twenty screwdrivers. Um, hold on, my fucking phone. Hold on. I don't know why it doesn't want to charge me. You with me? So we fucking, I I drank 20 screwdrivers. I blacked out. I had to be like held up in a shower and I vomited, vomited, vomited all night. And I was like, holy shit. 
And I was like, I don't want to do that again. Was that like 16, and 15? I think I was 16. Um, and I remember riding back because the next day we rode back from Massachusetts to Manhattan. And all I could think about was like, why would I do that? You know what I mean? Like, how could I put myself through that? And I'm not going to do that again. But then also a piece of me was like, you know, that tragic kind of character from the movie who's all rumpled up and hung over and like needs to wear sunglasses because the, yeah. the light too bright. Yes. You that's know what, what I, mean? I idolized, dude. I've yeah, all, like, Nick- yeah, that, that, uh, yeah, man, like leaving Las Vegas or like <clears throat> Jack, yeah, like freaking Burroughs and all that stuff was. That's what I got really. That that was the trap I fell for, man. It was like my 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 hero at that time was like the main character in Requiem for a Dream. I was like, he's so like damaged. <laughs> well, I hear that. For me, it was like I, I think I had like a Nick Nolte fantasy, like a, a rumpled motherfucker. You know, who didn't give a shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and, and it was like a distant fantasy because I was so immature. I was like, I felt like that on the bus home, but I was like, I'm not doing this again. And then I didn't, I didn't fucking do it again for, for years and years. And, and, and maybe two years later, uh, somebody like I was at a party and everybody was fucked up and I didn't want to drink because I got so sick. Like mm-hmm. I actually had this. Like people talk about an allergy to alcohol, but I actually had a fucking Legit. physical allergy where I would just fucking throw up on people if I had a drink. It was gr- I'd get sick. So and then somebody had weed, and I smoked the weed, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like I was like, "This is it!" And I kind of pretended to be drunk as I got stoned. That's so you know? funny. And um and I loved it. And I, and, and then, and then I was like, I'd like to, to smoke weed, but I was like, but I'm a good kid. So I'm not going to do that. And, and then I went to school. I went away to college. And again, I kind of felt pretty left out. I mean, high school and elementary school, I had so many friends. I did not feel the need to get out of my head. You know, I was, I was yeah. very much like safe and protected. When I went to college, I felt very alone and I was in this band and there was this Jewish kid in the band named Zev Haber. And uh, he was. Uh, are, are you sure he's Jewish? It's. Oh, yeah. It sounds Canadian. You know, it sounds Canadian. Do you, know what, do you know it's Canadian Jew? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Uh, do you know what Zev means in Hebrew? I, I would love to know. It means wolf. Oh, that's badass, son. Yeah, exactly. So but he was this short little guy with these big mutton chops. Dude, I'm going to name met... my kid Zev. I'm sorry. That's fucking awesome, dude. It's a nice name. And he was a sweet, sweet kid. And um, and we were in a we were, you know, we were 18 freshmen in college and we were in a cultural anthropology class. And uh, and he was like, you want to study with me? Uh, I got weed. And I was like, I was like, hell yeah. And I was like, that's what you do in college. You take yeah. cultural anthropology and you smoke bud to study. And and he was a jazz studies major. Like he was this guitar player. I was like, yeah, this is it. And um, and then from that moment on, I smoked weed probably every day until three years ago or something. Like, <laughs> like, like that, I just smoked. I smoked. It's, I, it's so funny that you're the drinking thing is like exactly. Mine's, mine's, I, I, I did, it wasn't that like. I probably could have drank it, but I was just so bad at it, and I would throw up, and I didn't like the taste, and everyone else was like just pounding them, and so I, I like convinced myself that like I, I was like everybody can just drink. I'm gonna like snort coke and like smoke weed. Like y'all like lame for that, but in reality, it's just because I couldn't fit in with the drinking crowd. 
I couldn't. Yeah, me too. I, I I like couldn't handle it. It's couldn't really either. funny because it's it's rare to meet to even hear that story. And I go to like you know NA. I don't hear that story that often. Yeah. Most people in NA are like, oh, I'm an alcoholic too. And, it, and I mean? yeah. Well, and it's you know when I did drink, of course, I drank problematically. But it was just like practically speaking, like it was so easy for my parents to know if I was drinking. They started doing the like smell your breath when I got home thing. So it was just, just like from a practical level, it just was not the easiest way to get my buzz. Totally. Uh, when I, when I was getting, when I, um, when I really started getting high all the time, my parents just weren't around. Yeah. Like I was in school. Oh, I, I just, yeah, yeah. as soon as I started using drugs, I was like, I was like, I can't see my parents anymore. I yeah. never lived home again. Like after, as soon as I started doing drugs, I never went home again. I like would go home for like a day, like, and I'd be like, I gotta get high, and I would leave. I just would not be around. Like I remember, I would stay at weird places. I just wouldn't go home. And um, but after I became like a bona fide stoner, I was like, I was just like, I want to get, I want to do drugs, but I didn't want to take coke. So I just started doing and this like, whatever. Is, and this is what, like the mid-50s, mid to late 50s that you? <laughs> this was the early, <laughs> this was the early 90s. Oh, this that is like, a time to be alive right there. It was, it's quite a time to be alive. I'm talking, I graduated high school in 1992. Oh, snap. And, um, and I took, I actually took acid before I ever smoked weed. Randomly. What? That's yeah, a story I, you don't hear. I, I was I was at a Grateful Dead show and I didn't want to smoke weed but I wanted to try acid so I took a dose uh, in 1990. How somehow. how was that? It was fun. Yeah. I was with one of my best friends and we wandered around Madison Square Garden and then we wandered around Manhattan and then we went home and tripped out and saw visuals and stuff. Awesome. It was like fun. It was like very yeah. innocent. Yes. You know. And then at school, like I just wanted to be a hippie and I wanted I wanted to be like one of these people that tripped out and got high and like that was my experience and like conventional shit wasn't about my life and I was yep. about the unconventional and the you know I was a seeker and I was an explorer and it was romantic and dramatic and yep. beautiful and all those things and um, I remember you know I think the doors the movie came out in 1990 Val Kilmer with Val Kilmer and I and I hadn't done I hadn't gone and tripped yet. It was that year, and I went with my ex girlfriend. I remember we went on Eighth Street to see The Doors, and I'm sitting in that. And this is so pathetic. I'm like, you know, I'm like seventeen or you know something like that. And I'm sitting in that movie theater. And I'm staring at the and I love The Doors. Like I just love the music. I grew up. I love that stuff. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm just like watching Val Kilmer fucked up as Jim Morrison and I'm just like holy shit it was like it was like literally I, I like got high through the movie and yeah. after the movie I said to my girlfriend I said I think I need to start doing drugs yeah you know and I and like who I like imagine like having any kind of self-knowledge you're 17 and you I think I literally said it out loud that's and now what... I'm, I'm 43 I was on heroin for fucking you know, fourteen years. I was on methadone for five years. We I had I, no like, idea that we we saw our movie was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It was three right. of us: me, Brad, and Jake. And I did. I I shit you not. I kept a notebook 
of the drugs I had tried, like in numbered sequential order. And I was just trying to get the most exotic drug list. And at the, at the very bottom was heroin question mark. Cause I was and there, there was like a line above it. And it was like the ones that like not going to do. And I, you know, I was like, we need, you know, we need that. We literally like, we started wearing bucket hats and had those cigarette holders. We wore aviator sunglasses. And yeah, I think like, I think, maybe for people like us it's like we need a sense of purpose like so much more deeply than other people that like when we think we find one like the death grip is on it it's just but i don't know i I don't know what it is i think it's just it's it's i also i think that there's innocence in that and i think that there's something really positive in that i think like to be that passionate and to be that that i want to do this is a positive thing. It's like I had even no matter how many movies I saw, no matter how much I read about it, no matter how much the world said don't do drugs, I had no idea that it could do to me what it did to me. Yeah. I had no like I can imagine you with the aviator glasses and the bucket hat and the cigarette holder and you have no idea no idea what's coming. What you're in for that, that, that it could possibly happen. It's like a Halloween party. It's like a joke. You and, don't know that your brain chemistry is going to change and your ability to make decisions is going to incredibly become impaired. Oh, dude. It's fucking and, insane. And like like you said about uh, that we made it happen or whatever, like it's not, it takes effort to go from a middle-class suburban white kid to like a professional heroin addict. You know what I mean? Like it takes like, education like experience you really have like you, you have to it's a commitment which it is takes so, courage yeah it takes it does. courage it takes money a shitload of money a shitload of money it, it takes it takes like an it's, ability it's it's, it's, to, it's a religious devotion is what it is like it's like but but i mean i find like it, it it's devotion is right and then it's like you and I just happen to be people that can be incredibly devoted. Um, but it's like devotion now. Like if I'm devoted to my family or I'm devoted to our podcast, it's like there is no fucking chemical withdrawal that's going to mm. kick in if I, if I, if I waver. Yeah. It's like with heroin, it's like you're devoted to an idea. And then it's like if you get an idea that maybe that's not the best idea – you're fucked yeah don't matter you're stuck then it becomes slavery you know what i'm saying and like and i'm jumping ahead of my yeah sorry yeah no 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 no. because i just wanted to make it clear that i was this innocent you know and um and i was at school and i played in bands and i like had fantasies in my head of what the world was like and who i was in the world and uh you know i loved and i and i had such a good time you know i loved um playing in bands and I loved having ideas and I loved doing drugs with my friends and hanging out and meeting people and and adventuring and all that shit. And, um, and I wound up getting kicked out of college because, uh, there was this guy, his name was John pole. And he had, um, it was like, I'm some, I'm, I'm like what? 10 years older than you. Uh, yeah, I'm 30. Okay, I'm like 13 years older than you. Um, fucking, it was like the dawn of quote unquote kind bud in New York. Oh yeah, it was the, it was the the dawn of of when weed had crystals and hair. Before that, everything in New York was brick, orange, shitty, brown, 
yeah. shitty compressed Jamaican bud, whatever, in a tire truck tire shipped across the country. At that moment, it was like dead tour and hippies and shit, and there's all this good bud. And this guy, John Pohl, had this bud called the Silver Haze, and he had pounds of it, okay? And we were like kids, and he got busted. And um, and he called my friend, I think he called Todd, and he said, uh, yo, Todd, I, I got a pound of the Silver Haze. I got to get out of here. The cops are going to come to my room. I, I need to get rid of this pound. And Todd's like, all right, man, I'll come and get this, the pound of the haze. <laughs> and uh, and Todd goes and he gets the pound of the silver haze and he brings it back to our room. And he's like, yo, I got the haze. <laughs> and we're all like excited. And, and then we broke up the pound and we each took a bit and we had to pay John Paul back. That was the idea. We were all going to pay John Paul back because he needed to get rid of the butt. And, and of course, John Paul got stiffed. But um, yeah. I, man, I paid I... my shit. <laughs> to be honest, I, I remember I sold it over the summer and I fucking paid it because I didn't. I just I just did the right thing back then. That was not something that was going to keep happening for me. I did a lot of stupid shit, but I yeah. did the right thing. Anyway, we were bringing one of our friends, this saxophone player named Colin. We were bringing him his share of the Silver Haze, and I got and I was with Zeth, and uh, we were driving to the thing to, to to Colin, and we got pulled over by campus cops because Zeth had just bought the car. And I had I was wearing an army jacket, and I had Bud in the top pocket and a bong in the other pocket, and the Bud was in an envelope. <laughs> and, and, and I had written a term paper that day twice because my computer had erased it. And it was like – I was like out of my mind, and it was – the Knicks were going to the playoffs, and we were going to drop off the weed, and then we were going to watch the Knick game. And I was really excited. And we drove down there, and the cops pull us over, and I'm like – just terrified because I've got like an ounce or two in my pocket and the cops like, where are you going? And I'm like, uh, let me, he, cause he pulled him over cause the car had old registration on the tag or something stupid. Yeah. And, um, and he goes, where are you going? And I said, Oh, the Nick game is on. It's the last day of school. Can I just go? And he goes, what's that in your pocket? And he pulls the envelope out with the button. And I said, that's just mail. And then he <laughs> looked at it. He looks at it and he sees it's open and he gets the bud and we get we get busted and we get suspended. And um, I had applied to a state school, an art school, way before that had happened. And I had gotten accepted. So when I got suspended from Ithaca, I just transferred to purchase without the suspension counting. Coming, coming through? Nice. Yeah. And my parents never found out about it. Nobody found out about it. Slick. And me and Zev transferred to purchase. Purchase was a full-on freak show art school. And um, in a full-on freak show art school, your drugs get much more potent and plentiful. Yeah. You know That's what I'm that was That was my big plan was to go – you ever heard of Ringling? Or like, no. What is, or RISD, like those art schools? Yeah, yeah. yeah like that was my plan. I, I was – I was trying to convince my parents, like, if I just need to go to art school, like, and that's, dude, that would have been a fucking disaster. See, I could, I figured you went to art school. You're a great artist. I know. I try, like, you know, I, 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 you know, I've been to college like three times. No big deal. (laughs) Like, nothing came of it. I just could never do it. I got too hot. My, my, um, the last painting class I was in, it's funny now I realize he was probably a recovered alcoholic but he kicked me out of class one day and he was he walked up to me he's like are you drunk and i was like huh and i was very drunk and he was like 
I guess he was like, I'm allergic to alcohol. I'm going to need you to leave. And I was like, the fuck? <laughs> like, wow. Now, yeah, now I realize he was probably a, a alcoholic. And I reeked. I was drinking four locos like crazy at the time. And I just reeked of alcohol. He had to have been an alcoholic. Yeah. Who else says such a thing? And congregation, if you guys don't know, Jed is a pretty badass painter. Mm. I, I, was, I was like saw him getting ready for his fucking... Uh, uh, Comic Con, and I see him painting these Star Wars things, and we were getting ready for the Dopey Hundredth episode. So I was like, "Hey, buddy, you think you could paint paint a thing?" And he painted possibly the best piece we got, which was Dopey the Dwarf snorting a Coke in the shape of the one hundred number, and it was excellent. And I actually had you send it to my father's house because I didn't want my daughter to see it. <sighs> Why my is dad... Dopey snorting drugs, Daddy? Well, yeah. That's um, and yeah, uh, and my you. dad was like, my dad was like, what is this? And I said, this is art. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was into it. He loved, my dad loves it, you know? That's um, funny, man. Okay. So, so you're, uh, you're in purchase. I went to purchase and like, first thing I did was I was like, we got to make some money. So me and my, my, my friend Zev, uh, we start cause Zev went with me. We start going to, um, the sheep's meadow in Manhattan and central park. Uh, it was like, and at that time in the early nineties, it was like this hippie paradise where everybody's playing fucking hacky sack and throwing the Frisbee around and smoking weed. It's like hair in, uh, <laughs> in 1995 sheep's meadow was like hair. And, um, and there was this guy there. It was a, a Mexican guy Ooh. named George. And he looked kind of like Carlos Santana. And he would stand on this blanket all day with a cowboy hat staring at the world. And I don't remember what George looks like. All I can really picture is like Carlos Santana standing on the fucking blanket at this point. But George was like a notorious acid dealer. Mm. And uh, and he would sell these sheets of red sun acid where each hit had a dose that had a red sun. But the whole blotter was one big sun. So it was very psychedelic. Oh, yeah. we would buy those sheets cheap. And uh, I remember he gave us a bunch of acid just to test. And every month, me and Zev would drive from Purchase to Manhattan. We would go to the meadow. We would buy one or two sheets. We would put it, you know how like a CD, like you can lift the part of the yes. jewel up and back there, there's that, that kind secret of spot. Yeah. yeah. So we would put our doses in, in there. And on the way out of the meadow, we would buy a knish. And that was the tradition. We would buy a knish on the way out of the menu. That, that It was a job well done. And, uh, and we would drive back to purchase. And I remember that year they were uh, laying the tar on the roof at purchase or the asphalt. And it smelled of that asphalt. And it was such a good time. Like uh, we, were, we were so young. We had transferred to purchase. Like there were – like at Ithaca, no girls were into us. Like at Purchase, everybody was into us. We were selling acid. We had money. And I smell that asphalt. And now every time I smell asphalt, oh, it great. associates me with this great time. That's good. You know? Yeah, it's cool. So we, we were having fun at Purchase. And, um, and Zev had this buddy who was a junkie. He was, uh, he was playing in a bunch of very big bands. Um at the time, like bands that, um, you know, were like indie famous bands. And he came to hang out with me and Zev and he had, he had gone down to Manhattan to the Lower East Side, uh, to cop dope. And he came back and he was like, um, 
you guys don't have to do any, but I cop this dope. And, you know, we were kids. It was like, it was just, it didn't make it. I didn't know really what the deal was, but I wanted to try it. And I probably snorted a bag of dope and I got so high. I started throwing up and, you know, and I was, I just got wasted high. I was throwing up and I woke up with some girl I didn't know who wasn't that attractive. Mm. And, um, and in the morning I was like, you know, I don't need to do dope. I was like, that's a little too strong for me. I don't need to do it. And um, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it again. I didn't do it for, for years. I didn't do dope again. And I finished at Purchase, and uh, I moved to Manhattan, and uh, I got a very cheap apartment. I, I grew up in public housing in Chelsea, mm-hmm. which is a really nice neighborhood. It was like Jewish projects. My, my parents, my grandparents had moved in when they opened it. It was like called the International Ladies Garment Workers Union Houses. And John F. Kennedy had done it for like Jewish immigrants or something. And um, <laughs> and my, my mom got an apartment in probably 1972. And probably in 1987, she put my name on the list. And in 1996, my name came up. Oh, it's like you get a free apartment if you're a Jewish heritage type of thing. No, you, you you just have to put your name on the list. It's a waiting list for 20 years, and then you have to put down like $10,000 or you have to take out a $10,000 loan, and you get low-income housing. Oh, okay. But it's a it's a, a crazy competitive thing in Manhattan, and it's literally a 20-year wait. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess wait. I imagine it's like the cheapest cheapest thing you're going to find there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incomprehensibly <laughs> cheap. Compa- I mean, like... My dad still lives there. He pays like a grand and, and a comparable apartment to my father's apartment is like five grand. Cool. So, you know, so I got my apartment then it was 300 bucks a month. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I had a bunch of like crazy, stupid jobs, funny jobs. I was like, I was managing promotions, uh, like uh-huh. you... promotions. Is that, and... oh, I guess it was later when you were doing the, um, when you were the power, what were you at the kids at the kids party? Oh, that was way, that was way yeah. later. I was that, that was where I was I was, I was uh, doing Junked balloon out. animals, and I was. Uh, it's such so many lifetimes, right? I, I, I had to dress up as a Power Ranger. The Big Bird story. The Big Bird was the worst. <laughs> um, but I got this apartment, and I wound up doing a bunch of like weird jobs, and um, and all the kids from Purchase would come to my apartment to cop coke because I had a delivery service, and Todd was living at my apartment at the time. Todd is this fuck up. If you, whoever in the congregation doesn't listen to Dopey, you should listen. It's yeah. way better than me, by the T- way. Todd so, is know. a recurring uh, real-life character. A, re- a using character on a using Dopey. using character. We pray for Todd every day. Yeah, I hope you do. I just saw I saw Todd today. Yeah, is he good? Mm, no. He's, he's hanging in there? Yeah. He's hanging in there. I always think he's going to be dead in a second. I know, dude. That's Well, I, this is this is the hope all... Yeah. Like that's, I was Todd to Jay for eight years. So, I mean, there's hope. There's hope for sure. There's hope. Right. There's so. hope. Um, they, I want to, I'm going too slowly. My story is so long and ponderous. That's why I never tell my story because it's too long. And yeah. Stupid. We got, we got like 20 minutes so you can just, you can mentally figure it out. However you want to. God bless you. Um, I wound up getting a job working in television. And um, I became like an assistant and I had a lot of fun and I would hang out with the crew and everybody smoked weed and blah, blah, blah. And Todd was at my house and I got a job. 
I remember I got a job for this company. They did a stoner cooking show. It was called Half Baked. And um, basically they would get this guy high and he would show college kids how to cook. Okay. Oh, it's amazing. This is like and, Viceland before Viceland. Like, yes. That's it was some cutting like, edge shit. It was totally that. It was a million years ago. And they. I remember when I went to get the job, the guy was like this rich guy from Greenwich, Connecticut. And he pulls me into his office and he says, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I was like 23. And he says to me, I know you think you've done a lot of drugs, but I promise you I've done more. And I say, I say, okay, that's great. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't care less. Like, <laughs> okay. Great. And he goes, he goes, but I think you're cool, and I want you to work on this show. And I said, okay. I said, that's great. And he goes, what you have to do is you need to get weed for the, for the host, and make sure he's not too high, but he's high enough. And I was like, I was like, okay, I could do that. I was like, I could do that. That's like the mythical job position that we all know exists, but you never hear that it officially exists. That's hilarious. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And, and, and I would, you know, buy a ton of weed and I would sell it to these rich guys from Greenwich and I would uh, get the, the show host high and I would get high and it was just like this weird job. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I convinced them to put me on their channel and i started like hosting it was three hours of tv that they put on and i would start hosting the third hour and then i got this music show out of it and i started making a little bit more money and i would do coke every once in a while but i never liked doing coke and they sent me to i traveled around the country to plan talk shows for them and that was a lot of fun Damn. And i would go to these places and i would get high with random kids and i would pull these shows together and stuff and i'd leave todd back at my apartment and i remember i came back from east lansing michigan and all these kids from purchase were there doing coke with todd and i was like what the fuck is going on and he was like well all these kids showed up and they wanted to get coke and there was the dealer you know in front of me and i was like wow you made a lot of money off my apartment tonight didn't you and he was like yeah and i was like well what do you want to give me for it <laughs> and he reaches into his pocket and he takes out two bags of heroin. And like, I remember it like it was slow motion. Like he dropped it on the coffee table. I remember seeing the two bags falling and like hitting the table. Like it made a sound. Jeez. That's so funny. It's like you can trace 23 years of consequences to like one moment dude that's one a, thing one that i said that i said i said I, I you made a lot of money what are you gonna do for me he's like how about if i give you a lifetime of pain and misery yeah, yeah. how about if i destroy your I, life in exchange uh, uh, check it out check I, it out your life's gonna blow but in 26 years you're gonna have this killer podcast what's a podcast? don't worry about it man <laughs> just worry. just go on the path trust me he was a 17 year old kid named kevin black kid from uptown and, and we probably made him you know 500 bucks that night he gave us two tens of heroin you know two bags of heroin and it changed my life forever it was like it was Ugh. insane we yeah. did the dope and uh got so high but didn't throw up then and it was a sunday night like we watched the simpsons and and it was like the simpsons were still really good then 
and we passed out. <laughs> and in the morning I woke up and I was still high. And I remember I said to Todd, I said, I feel so good, man. I said, I, I said, I, I kind of want to feel like this forever. And, yeah. and, 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 um, but I, but I was scared. I knew that I knew about addiction and I knew that it would be a problem. And I was like, but you know, but I thought that thing, then I managed to start really excelling at this television place. And I, um, I pitched a music show where we would feature artists and I would interview them and we would show scenes and, uh, and we started putting that together and they, they picked it up. And they liked the show, and they gave me a three-year deal. I was 23 years old. The first year, I was going to make $80,000. The second year, I was going to make ninety, And the third year, I was going to make a hundred. And this and, is uh, back in, what, 90? 94. 90, God. No, 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 no. It was 97. 97. And, uh, or 97, 98. So that's and, like $63 million in today's money. Exactly. It's a lot of, but, but more than that, when you're young. Oh, my God, you know, dude. Yeah, you, know, you made it. Cha-ching, you're good. And I, and I was paying 300 bucks a month and it was validating me as who I always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It was like all of a sudden I was finally, they the knew world I recognizes what I already knew. Yeah. yeah. I, I finally have arrived and, and I, and I was going to get compensated. And, um, and I swear to God within two months I was strung out. Like within oh. two months I was strung out. Um, I was sure that I was so great that I was John Lennon or Miles Davis, you know, and in reality, I'm living in low income apartment, making a bullshit like college cable, you know, show that I managed to make all this money. But I've blown it out of proportion in my head to the point of extreme craziness. I got that three year deal. I didn't make it into the second year. Oof. By the end of the first year, I was so strung out. I had spent all the money I had. Uh, snorting the dope and I was so sick and I had no money and I was like holy shit this is what what this is yeah. what addiction is and, <laughs> you know I was like I was I was in so much trouble I said I have to go to detox you know but do I tell work or do I tell my parents and um, and I was like one of those guys at work that I would come I wouldn't come in I would come in late I would lie on the couch until the the dealer would come and then after the and i was a dick to everybody until the dealer got there and then i was the nicest guy in the world it's the classic shit um and i and i made the stupidest decision or one of the many stupid decisions i made in my life and i told my parents and i didn't tell work and when i didn't tell work i became in breach of contract because i didn't show up and they just fired me yeah and if you would have told them you they wouldn't have been allowed to fire you they would have sent me to rehab. Yeah. They would have sent me to Cush well, rehab. Well, but here and then here herein lies the rub is like that's exactly the thing that was supposed to happen. Well, I'm not one to believe I totally that, am. I'm not one to believe that things happen for a reason. How can you not? I believe that things happen because they happen. It's like I can't sit here and say if only I had done this, because I didn't do that. I did this. That, do you know what yeah, I'm saying? That's, I don't know, because it's, it's just, it trips me out too much to to uh, retroactively look at your life and just connect all the dots and see that, like, if, if just the wind was blowing in a northeasterly direction that one day, then, like, so many things wouldn't have happened. So it's like, I, I, just, I just cannot believe that it's all happenstance. 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's happenstance. I just don't. <coughs> I, I don't. You know, and it's all how we frame anything. Yeah, you that's that's I mean? true. We might be talking about the same thing. We are, but at the same time, I I don't believe. Like it's like so many weird things happen. Like I, I don't know if you listened I, recently to two dopies ago. We had Todd on, and Todd told the story about when he got busted in college with 199 doses. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. Because Todd got busted with 199 doses, he got kicked out of Ithaca. He had to go to this school called uh, Oswego. And at Oswego, he met the woman who's my uh, daughter's mother. And I would never have met her. We wouldn't have this beautiful girl in the other room uh, if Todd hadn't gotten busted with the doses. So So you don't think that that's like... I don't, I'm not. I'm not one to really think that it happened because of a reason. I just. I, I do. It's amazing. It happened though. There's not. There's nothing. Yeah. You can't do anything about the fact that it happened. Yeah. Um, after I had gotten, I, I that, all that stuff had happened. I got, and then I then I went from like glamorous, exciting, junkie, young junkie, hippie guy to run of the mill, fucking classic. Yeah. Addict. After that, I just uh, I bounced from detox to detox to outpatient to detox to rehab. You know, I wound up uh, in Florida at one of these very punitive rehabs called Renaissance, where like they like convinced my parents to stop paying the rent on my super cheap apartment. So I lost that super cheap apartment, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna move to Los Angeles and fuck New York. I didn't need it anyway." And blah blah. <laughs> And um, and from there, you know, I just I, I bounced around from methadone clinic to methadone clinic, uh, getting sick, getting dope, getting sick, getting dope, getting pills. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was basically it. You know, there was also like the only good story that I really I, that you know, and then it's all those classic fucking stupid seizure stories, you know, getting yeah. sick, you know, over and over and over again, you know, and uh the only good story that I didn't tell that is that's really a consequential story is my 9/11 story, which is probably my best story out of all the stories. But I'll, you could you could check oh, that out the story. if you ever if you ever get a chance. Yeah. Um, but all that shit happened. I was I was like 35 in in Los Angeles after a litany of fuck ups, um, and my mother was dying. Uh, of leukemia mm. and I was on methadone I was on 120 milligrams of methadone and uh, I lived in Echo Park with a girlfriend who basically took care of me and uh, and I bought dope every day and I did it <laughs> once every four days or something so that I wouldn't test for it when I got my methadone and I said I have to go home because I didn't want my mother to die uh, without me being there and, and the last Many, many times she had seen me. I was such a waste of a, of a human being. It's just pathetic. I was like, I got to get off. I said, I got to get off methadone and, and I got to go back to New York. You know, and that was like the first time like reality had had taken hold of me, like that the world was not a, a game. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. Um, I got off methadone like one milligram at a time over the course of like a year or something like crazy slow. Yeah, it's awful. Horrible, horrible. I did, I did suboxone for the first time, and 
you know, it's just, it was fucking bad, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I moved to Vermont and then and I broke up with that woman because we had been together for eight years uh, and I was on heroin the whole time and she wasn't, um, which was crazy. Yeah. And um, what happened? Uh, my mother, I, I went to see my mother. Uh, she died right away within mm. a within a month of me being home and or two months and um it was really and, and i and i didn't and i was off dope and i was off methadone still smoking weed and two weeks later i met my daughter's mother and uh and within six months she was pregnant so i don't know that's 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 there's a lot of stuff happened and it's like almost, I almost slammed into a wall by the breaks of the whole thing. I feel like I'm confessing my fucking sins. I don't do hmm. that. I don't do this kind of thing on dopey. I don't know. Hey, I don't dude, know that's what, it's, it's good for the soul, man. That's the, uh, that's the power of the spirit, bro. That's what, <laughs> that's what we bring out on this show. That's awesome though. It's needed, bro. It's crazy, huh? Isn't it? it that's, that's if congregation, he's got the, he's got the, upward thousand yard stare that i get to when i say things that it's like i'm reading a movie script and i'm like damn that like happened to me it's weird or things that i did or like things in my life that just seem like it might as well have happened on mars like it's strange the fucked up thing though is that when we had our daughter when 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 my girlfriend was in the hospital i remember we would go to and this is i'm not proud of this i'm totally ashamed to say this but everybody's like people some people can turn their lives around when when a baby's coming and i tried to but i, I couldn't very really few and i wound up i remember we were in these uh birthing classes and i would have dope in my pocket or pills in my pocket i remember when she was in the hospital that i would go i went to go cop xanax from this idiot guy called himself Phoenix. And, uh, <laughs> like, it was a fucking bad time. And, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't on, I was do dope like once a week. It was like, I was in this incredible denial because I wasn't getting a physical. That's like, that's so much being in that limbo period is w so much more miserable than being one way or the other. I think I was scared. I, I didn't, because I, we had, she was pregnant. I didn't want, I didn't want to be just addicted to heroin. Like I was very scared, but um, then we had the baby, and I was I was doing it once a week, once a week, once a week, and then it started being twice a week, and then you know it would be three times a week, but I never got more than that until uh, she, my daughter's mother found me with the needle, Oof. and um, we had a baby in the other room. Oof. And um, she got so upset, obviously. She barely knew me at the time. And um, she barely knew me. And she had taken the risk of having a child with me. And I was a an IV heroin user. And she knew that. And she thought, she didn't realize what addiction really would look like. Mm. Like that it's not, you know, in the movies, the, the guy gets clean when the baby's born. Yes. And everything's yeah. bad. You know, and I yeah. didn't. Um, and I remember she like, 
she she told me to leave, you know, and I left. And I went to my father's house with the heroin, and I think I did heroin as soon as I got to my father's house. Then she told me that her father was going to pick her up, and if um, I was there, he was going to kick the shit out of me, which he definitely could have. Um, and um, <laughs> and not to come back. And uh, I wound up going back, and uh, she was gone, and the baby was gone, and everything was gone. And, uh, and that's when I went right into hardcore drug use. And I started using and using and using and using and using and using. And I got to probably between three and four hundred dollars a day. Uh, and I got a new apartment and uh, I just got so high all the time. Uh, and I remember one night and I was I acted as though my life like was somebody else's life. And I went I remember I went out drinking to try to pick up girls in the village of Manhattan. And I was drinking like purple shots of test, you know, they had test tubes. I'm drinking test tubes. Yeah. I'm alone and high on heroin drinking test tubes. And, uh, and I wandered home and I swear to God, I walked right into a wall, a brick wall. And I broke my nose and I got a black eye and I said, I got to go back to rehab. And uh, the next day, I, I drove to so rehab. So you literally hit a wall. That's so, Liter- cool. That's I literally, so good, dude. Yeah, I literally walked into a wall, and uh, <laughs> and I broke everything. And and I, and I was like, I'll go. Oh. I was one of those guys that was like, I'll go to rehab as long as I can fucking shoot dope the whole way there. Oh, so well, I, yes. So I got driven to rehab, shooting dope in the car, taking Xanax, and I remember like people... I, I, I love the stipulations we make. Like, like we're in, like, okay, I'll go to rehab, but you got to go buy me like a bunch of dope beforehand, okay? I love that too, but that also just shows the nature, the sick enabling it's, it's that sick. happens. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, and it's well, like, and, I, I will go. I've done. I will gladly. It is a method to get people to go, though. I'm not even gonna lie, like. Well, it's like, it's like, it's like, wait a second. So you're saying you're going to drive me to treatment and you're going to get me high. And all I have to do is check in and you're going to get me as high as I ever wanted to be. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Because you're fucked at that point. It's like, all right, you know, free drugs. Yeah. Um, But so I got so high and shit and my nose was broken and I was all fucked up and I drove to rehab and, um, and people were scared of me, and I was having, and I was in that, you know, that detox before rehab, and uh, it was just bad. It's really bad. But I didn't get that. I didn't get as sick as you'd think you'd get. I didn't get that sick, you know. And uh, and then I went to treatment, and that's where I actually met Chris. Uh, was at that treatment, and um, and then I left the treatment, and I was like, and I was just desperate to to be able to have access to my child. Like I did not want to be a fucking, you know, junkie who wasn't a father. So I started putting some clean time together and I put, I put 18 months together and, um, and I wanted to fix my family and I couldn't fix it, you know, and I'd gotten 18 months together and I couldn't fix my family. And at 18 months, I took a hair test to give me visitation where I could have my daughter for overnights. And I started getting her for the overnights and I, and I was very sad that my family wasn't together, but I was very happy that I had, that I was sober and I had my kid, yeah, but I didn't steps. love, 
I didn't love being sober. I really wanted to get high. I really just wanted to be a stoner. I, like I wanted to be done with dope and pills and shit, but I wanted to be a stoner. And uh, I decided I was going to start smoking weed again. And for uh, for like four years, I smoked weed after work every day. And um, and I held a job and I did some creative stuff. And um, uh, and I kind of just lived like a loser, you know, like some stoner loser who was a waiter. <laughs> and <laughs> and, um, and then I started getting a chance with my daughter's mother. And I and 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 I started getting pills again, and um, and I fucked up the chance with my daughter's mother, and she found out that I was taking benzos, and she was like, "That's it." She was like, "Your custody's cut off. You know, she can't go to your house again. You have to get another year without anything." And I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, I was I was, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, "I can't believe this happened." You know, after everything I had been through that I was going to be in this situation without custody, you know, and, and also that that after all of this had happened, that I was still thinking that, like, there was anything to smoking pot or taking pills. I was just this idiot kid again. And I was 40 years old. You know what yeah. I mean? I was like, I was like, I was like, but I like getting buzzed. You know, it's like, Ooh, yeah. the fuck was I? You know, and, and until finally, I remember I had this because we were very close to fixing our family and I fucked it up because I took clonopins and passed out with her and she found them. And it was like it was just so pathetic after everything that I had put her through, everything I had put myself through. I'm this stoner on pills, you know, and, and I remember and she was like, your custody's cut off. And I was like, oh, my God, I was like, I'm fucked. Because like the whole time, that five-year period, every day, the only thing I could think about was how can I fix my family? How can I fix my family? How can I like like mantra over and over and over until finally, um, I had it like almost fixed, but I was on weed and pills, so it, it ended again. And I said to myself, what am I going to do about being insane? And I remember I had heard at a meeting in in. You know, in rehab, because I wasn't an AA guy, I'd always go to NA. But I remember at a meeting that they said that uh, this will deal with the obsession of the mind. And even if I wasn't obsessed with drugs, I was obsessed with an idea. And I was so obsessed, I couldn't stop thinking. Yeah. So I started going to AA, and um, immediately I started doing the steps. And, uh, and immediately uh, the obsession started to be lifted. You know, Go figure. It was amazing. That's so good. And um, that was, you know, almost, you know, almost two and a half years ago. And um, then within a few months, I, you know, my daughter's mother reconsidered, and uh, we started seeing each other again. And uh, a little while later, I moved out to Long Island, and um, and here we are. Nice, bro. <laughs> It's quite a story, right? That is quite a story, man. And I, I, I don't think many. Uh, yeah, you haven't got a chance to. I haven't heard that. That's awesome, dude. That's I good. hope I didn't bore anybody. I know. It was a no, lot. I was, I was riveted. You, you, you. I wasn't expecting to take a train to Philadelphia, but uh, you got me. You got oh, me you in the felt heart. it. Oh you yeah, it was good, it. man. Yeah, that's uh, it's heavy, man. It's yeah, like a lot of. Like when I was speaking tonight, a lot of like it, it wasn't. I always thought it would it would be the. 
the overdoses and like the car crashes and these like big theatrical consequences. But what finally got me was just like the gut wrenching soul depression of just like the despair my life had gotten to. Like, it was just like, like, this is awful. Like this is, I never thought like that, like the people I was having to be around and like, it's just, it's just awful. Well, the car crashes and stuff is more like fodder for the mill. It's more of like the stories we get to tell and the exciting story and all that shit. Whereas like, I mean, I I don't know. I I think I I love doing drugs. You know, I loved doing drugs and uh, and I basically stopped doing them when I was 41. And I said to myself, I'm 41 years old and I'm a waiter. And I'm not with my family. And it's because I did drugs basically every day. Now, if I'm lucky, I have another 40 years. Let's see what that looks like without drugs. Let's yeah. see. you know. And, and I remember also in the beginning, the first day I went to AA, I had so much bud in my house. I had a, a, fan, <laughs> a stoner's fantasy in my house. I had jars of weed with different strains and the different names. And I loved that shit, that cachet. And I remember I was like, I don't know that I don't want to smoke weed. And I was, and I said to myself, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And I pantomime smoking a joint and, and I could do it to this day. When I pantomime smoking a joint, I could taste the weed. I could feel the smoke and I can feel high. I, I know. Exi- I know it so well that I can get high by, by faking it. It's like, I'm not going to get any higher than I ever got. There's no ground that's, that I yes. didn't get to. That's the truth. Yeah. There's no, there, yeah, it's this imagined plateau that's, it's just there. It's just there. I just got to get there. It's not there, man. You never been will there. be again. I've been there. Yeah. And that's, that's, that, that, oh, that became the torture of all tortures. That's when I finally got that high. I immediately have the realization that it's going to go away. And oh God, oh God, I must scramble to protect this with every fiber of my being. And the second you have that thought, it's gone. Oh, it's gone, dude. It's the, the gone. All the enjoyment that, is over, dude. The second uh, you get that thought, it's gone. Ugh, gross. So, it's like, so when I finally like was like, I was like, I want to see what um the other side of life could be, yeah. and um you know it and 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 it sounds so corny, but it's been so good, it and, has, um, and and so much fun, and, and you know what? It's like I'm an innocent again. It's yeah. like it's like as almost as almost as though that stuff didn't happen. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's like it's like like I feel connected <laughs> to the teenager I was. Like that played D and D and felt good, and it's a miracle. You know, mm-hmm. I had so many seizures. My memory's not great. Blah 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 blah. But the fact is, I, I am capable of crazy joy. Uh, I'm capable of really caring for people. I'm capable for taking care of myself and for being a good person. And uh, I, I, I I didn't know that it would feel so good, and I didn't know that I. It's so familiar, but but I did. I was a bad guy for a long time, and I didn't do those things. And it, yeah. it's just so cool. You well, know? real quick, man, tell everyone where they can find Dopey, dude. You, you can go to iTunes. Dopey's on iTunes. I feel like I didn't talk enough about Dopey. Dopey's like besides my family. Dopey's the number two, baby. I love. <laughs> I, and um, I think 
you know, I love uh, I love all of our little our little things. I love dopey. I love church and other drugs. I, I was released until captivity. It doesn't seem to be coming out as much, but uh, I love that dude. I love. Yeah, all I need to send him a text. See how he's doing. Um, I think he's doing good. Yeah, I think I just saw something up was up recently. I love that we're all doing it. I love that we're all like on the other side of something big, it's bad, cool. and horrible. It is. I hope and I, I didn't. Uh, dominate with too much personal shit i didn't do my normal like look at the world kind of fun stuff i just no i I like i like to get personal that's when the uh the one-on-ones are good for the the late night one-on-ones are good for some oprah shit oh yeah this is serious fucking oprah yeah am i the first jewish guest on church and other drugs no we actually talked to uh a bisexual jew that lives in israel that used to do drugs that dude is interesting Right on. Yeah. So sorry. You're number two. It's okay. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Actually, no. You're number three. My my friend John Wickler is also a, a Jewish chef that lives or a Jewish waiter lives in uh, Vegas. Well, there you go. So, but I was the first. Jew, <laughs> I was on the first I was oh the yeah, first yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you were. There you go. There you go. Oh, uh, and uh, I, I like I like how uh, your new dopey dopey intro shouts out everyone but Christians. I I know a jab when I see one. I know a jab. I think, no, I, I think it. Do, I think we do mm. shout out Christians at the end. Nope, nope. You say and everyone else. Yeah, that's Christian. <laughs> <laughs> everyone else. You know, it's uh, funny. It's like um, we did that because me, I, I, Chris would make me say hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And Chris is so obsessive compulsive that he would make me do it every time. And it's so like, weird to do it every time too. I'm having it's so it like it's so weird to come up with a clever way to say the same thing over and over, and I feel dumb every time. Like, welcome well, to Cherson. But but Howard Stern doesn't do that. Howard Stern yeah. does this because everybody knows who he is. He plays his music, and then he goes, "Hey now, coming at you." He does all this fun yeah. stuff, and it's like <laughs> I want to do that. You know, I want to have fun and be like, "Hey now," you yeah. know. I also like, um, I think, you know, I plan on Dopey being like this huge thing. Like, I'm, I'm like putting in fucking work. Like, I plan on it being like the view for Dope Fiends. Like, that is where we're going. Dope. Yeah. We need, yeah. I think, yeah. We need to, we need to network up. We need to keep rising this tide. But we've been, um, yeah. I'm going to let this you go. week, this week on Dopey. Uh, MTV VJ Matt Pinfield. It's a big week for us. Shut the fuck up, Matt Pinfield, the 120 minutes guy. How did you get him? Listen, uh, hold on. I'm gonna stop it, and then we're gonna have a talk. <laughs> okay. Thanks for coming on, Dave. Thank you, Jed. Thank you, congregation. Be well. Stay strong. <laughs>